everybody. This is Mina Malapetti with Amplify MD. Looking forward to another lovely morning chat, this time with Robin Schrader um, and our episode of the Seamless Connection. So Robin Schrader is a co-founder and CEO for SafeRide Health, and I'm excited to have this chance to get together with him this morning. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Um, we're really excited to, to dive in here, but just for the audience that hasn't met you before, can you give them a uh, quick overview of your personal background as well as also of SafeRide? Sure. Thanks for asking. Uh, so I'd say uh, my background from a personal side is, is unfortunately I lost a friend to addiction. So I've seen how hard it is for folks to navigate chronic care. Uh, on a professional side, um, I'd say I have a largely operations background. So I'm ex-Navy, spent some time on the aviation side, spent five years in construction building projects all over the world, which is a ton of fun. Went to business school, then spent five years in management consulting, um, doing sort of turnarounds of family-run businesses and driving more traditional growth strategies. Um, but I do remember being in San Francisco in 2013 and seeing the then startup Lyft and Uber coming on the scene. And I was always fascinated by mobility. Um, and I saw folks solving problems like how do you get to the airport? How do you get a burrito? Which turned out to be a huge business. Um, but no one was solving the problem of like, how do you get to care? And so I just kept picking at that and picking at that and picking at that. And then in 2016, <clears throat> came back and jumped all in on building Safe Ride and the rest is history. Um, nice to meet you. <laughs> and are you guys, and I saw a couple things, you guys were formerly based in LA, but now you're in San Antonio, or did I get that wrong? Uh, so we have a large operation in San Antonio. Uh, I still live in LA. Uh, okay. That's yeah. so you're still in my home state, so I'll take it. There you go. <laughs> um, so for, in terms of like what kind of motivated you, did you have, you said you had a personal story in terms of one of your friends passed away. Yeah. Was that related to the mobility issue or just related to, that's what drew you into healthcare in the beginning? I think it was an early shock to the system to realize like how hard it is for so many folks in this country to access care. And the more we looked at mobility and these new tools coming to serve every other part of our life and this gap in healthcare, the more I was scratching my head and saying, hey, feels like we can do something really great for the community here. Let's start thinking about how we solve this problem of access uh, and apply it to a healthcare lens. So what is the problem? I mean, so I can I can guess at a few items of it because I have elderly grandparents who are in their 90s and I feel like there's a trip to Kaiser every week pretty much at this point. Um, and so right now we're lucky, you know, my family and I kind of, we all take turns in taking them in, but I'm guessing a lot of people don't have that same opportunity. So there's like the obvious issues, but just wanted to have you kind of highlight for us, you know, what are, how would you kind of capture the space of mobility given issues related to healthcare and how does ride sharing like? Yeah, uh, it, it's a great question. So I'd say, you know, foundationally, 60% of our trips are to life-sustaining care. So dialysis, wound care, chemotherapy, and then behavioral health. Um, and the, the folks that we create access for are folks inside the managed Medicaid programs, uh, and then also the Medicare Advantage programs. So folks who are aging into plans, and to your point, you know, you may be in California and your parents are in Ohio and they still need their appointments. Or, hey, you know, you're in Corpus Christi, navigating the challenges of being below the poverty line. You know, there may or may not be bad things around you. And so helping, you know, that single mom make it easy for her kids to get to care is, is the problem we solve. So do you allow family members to book rides for their, for their um, you know, family members, for the other family members, I guess, essentially, in the sense of like, can I book it for my grandparents in another state, like you were just saying, or a parent could book it for their kid if they're still at work, but the kid needs to go somewhere. Similar to like you do for like you know the kids' rides and stuff like that, or is it more that you're like the um, the person who's receiving care themselves 
who might or might not be so tech savvy um, would, would book it for themselves. I think you're hitting on one of the first sort of unlocks for us is, is we realized that, you know, there, there's the member, but then there's the entire ecosystem that orbits the member, social workers, family members, care navigators on the payer side, the providers who are actually providing the course of care to, to that member. And then finally the member themselves. And historically there's been no transparency across all these different touch points. And so we created this technology platform where everyone can basically have agency to engage. And whether you're taking the agency and booking on a mobile app or a social worker is doing it for you, fine. But these are all pathways to solve the same problem of like, let's be Mrs. Smith to care. And so how does SafeRide work with the Ubers and Lyfts of the world? I'm guessing you don't have your own driver team, right? You're, you're tapping onto the network that exists already. Um, and so how do you engage with them as well as with the health plans to kind of coordinate that whole ecosystem? Yeah. Um, so I want to make sure I got the, the question right. So it's basically how, what is the user journey in terms of how a member engages the benefit? Um, yes, that's one of it, part of it. But also just in terms of figuring out, like, how do you, are you getting the health plan gives you the patients or the patients reach out to you directly and then you coordinate ah, half of them for the health plan? Um, Cause yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, I don't know how to get this, but I need this, right? So sure, yeah. So um, everything in, in, in transportation rolls through the plan. So you know, we serve plans in exclusive capacity, and then you know, we we for instance serve the Scan Health plan. It's three hundred thousand covered lives across five states, and we basically get all of their eligibility data. And then once we have the eligibility data in our system, then anybody who has that data is able to book a ride. So whether it be the member who is enrolled in the SCAN health plan, who now has a transportation benefit, or again, any of those other constituents who are doing the action on behalf of the member. But everything for the Medicare and Medicaid populations typically starts with the plan funding the benefit and then rolling that benefit out to their membership. What's interesting is, is the old world used to see this as a cost. And so there's a lot of like, hey, we're going to really contain the benefit and not open it up to um, to the members who need it. In the new world, particularly into these managed care relationships, you know, our clients are fully motivated to have their, you know, that 5% of a population that drives 70% of the plan's total cost comply with their course of care. And so they really want us to drive awareness and help those members who need to access care, eliminate that barrier to care. So your conversations um, from a client perspective is happening with the health plans and going from there to convincing the health plans that this is a benefit for your patients that is going to help you control cost of care and help you control compliance with care. Is that essentially the conversation you're having from a value proposition perspective? Absolutely. We hit on three foundation metrics. The first is enrollment. The second is retention. And the third is MLR, medical loss ratio. So, and those are pretty headline metrics for our plan. Um, on the enrollment side, you know, we see more and more plans offering the benefit because everyone's seeing that, hey, this works. Um, and now it's a, a story of, hey, if you have a benefit and the other person does not have a benefit. Well, now your plan is more competitive. And so there's a little bit of differentiation. Um, and then also all kinds of really cool things about how you access the benefit, whether it be a digital wallet or, you know, all these other pathways. The second one is, is, <clears throat> um, you know, the MLR side is, is making sure that you comply with care. And the third is, is creating a delightful experience. Unfortunately, transportation has been, there's like the top two drivers of grievances are dental and transportation for most plans. Um, and to quote a large integrated system, my five-star rating is worth a billion dollars to me. And so our ability to create this thoughtful 
you know, consumer-centric experience that not only one, makes the member more likely to comply with care, but two, lifts up cap scores and star ratings. I mean, that has a huge impact on a plan's economics. So then, and you mentioned earlier that not all plans or not a majority of plans even today offer this as a benefit for their uh, members. So what do you think is holding them back? I think it's time. You know, I think it's it's relatively new. I think the conversation of SDOH, or social determinants of health, is, is a relatively new conversation, and now it's being validated. Um, and as more and more data comes out that, hey, these social determinants of health innovations actually create value for the member and for the plan, we see more and more people throwing it out. So we basically it went from 20% of plans to 30% of plans. Now almost 40% of plans, MA plans offer the benefit, and we would expect that to you know, clear 50% um, as early as next year. So there is a pretty rapid growth of folks rolling this out. That's fantastic. So are you limited at all in terms of only operating markets where there is an Uber or Lyft to to kind of partner with? And I don't know, actually, I, should, I shouldn't assume. Are you partnered with them to be the drivers for uh, as you're coordinating these rides? Or do you have your own team that does it in situations where, where that's not an option? Yeah, uh, good question. So what we offer is, as we always say, we want to offer the right ride to the right member at the right time. And we span a number of modalities. Uh, everything from, hey, you know, you live 50 feet from a bus stop. If we gave you a bus pass, would you go to your doctor's appointment and then use that same pass to get groceries for the rest of the month? Um, if you have a vehicle and we give you a gas card, um, will that help you get to care? Or often will that help a loved one take you to care, which is actually a fantastic way. It's a very high compliance way of getting someone to care. Then obviously rideshare, um, Lyft and Uber are fantastic partners. And then what's called NEMT, non-emergency medical transportation. So, you know, for those folks who are navigating dialysis, wound care, these sort of more um, strenuous uh, courses of care, you may need to have medically qualified transportation taking you to and from. Um, all the way through secure COVID-positive transportation. So there's a wide range of modalities. Um, and we operate nationally across the United States. And what we really try to do is just think about who's the member, what is their need, and what's the best way for them to get to care. So if I was calling for a ride, how would I do it? Uh, great. Yeah, so you would, well, ideally, you would open up your phone and be credentialed, and you just book it yourself and never have to call. Um, which is actually really exciting to see, you know, the Medicare population, which historically was not quite as, as tech savvy, starting to just be like, hey, it's worth me learning how to use this app because I want to get to care myself. That's amazing. Um, I mean, how many of, of, of the population goes through the app versus does the old school way? It's growing. Um, we're, we're not where we want to be yet, but we've seen some really positive early signal. Um, and, and that's been really exciting. The other way that it happens more often than not is, is it's the care navigators. It's, you know, the nurses who have a list of here's the top 15 people I call every week and ask them, are you going to go to care? And in the old world, it was, you know, I'll make it Monday, Wednesday, but Friday, I'm, I'm going to drive myself or I'll miss it because, you know, my son picked up a shift at Walmart. And that's when the alarm bells go off at, you know, a big payer, because by Sunday, that member will be in the hospital with flu building. Um, and now in that same exact workflow, they can hit a button and boom, dispatch transportation to get you to care. So it's about empowering the ecosystem. And then obviously you can always call our call center and we'll happily book a ride for you that way. That's sort of the most old school way of doing it. And that will always be a part of uh, what we do. But the more that we deflect and empower the ecosystem, the more we become really that sort of white glove experience for that 15% of the membership who, who is navigating very serious issues. 
and needs the help versus just everyone has to go through this old school analog false experience. No, that completely makes sense. Um, in terms of empowering the health plans themselves to see the impact, you talked about the, those three key headline metrics for them. Do you are you tracking that? Are they tracking that? How are you able to to show them the impacts of this? Because the more that you show the impacts, I can imagine just like for yeah. us, the hospital system, the more impact you have, the more they want to use you, the more they want to push you to new member um, member kind of opportunities. I would say you're absolutely right. That is the uh, the holy grail. Uh, figuring out how to just tie transportation benefit equals better health outcomes. The challenges is there's so many other covariants in that regression analysis that it's just very tricky to um, to just definitively tie it out. First principles will tell you, hey, if your population is showing up to care, they're going to lead happier and healthier lives. Um, but we're we're really still struggling on how to thoughtfully articulate that. The other challenges is the sort of historical versus today. You have COVID that hit the, the the last two years, and so it's very hard to sort of say like for like comparisons because nothing is like for like in healthcare anymore. You know. No, it completely makes sense. Um, if you had to look at the entire country um, and, and look at kind of where the opportunities lie for improving healthcare options, is it geographically driven at all in terms of whether it's a rural or urban mix, whether there is a coastal versus Midwest mix, whether it's, you know, I'm just trying to, to understand if it's from the hospital perspective and the specialty perspective, which is my background, but with Amplify MD, we see a huge difference, right? Based on right. geographies and based on clinical setting. I'm wondering if you're seeing the same. We are. Um, so what we're seeing is, is the rural markets uh, have always really struggled with access issues. Um, and you see it also like the hospital groups, just getting physicians into rural markets is also hard. Um, but, you know, that continues through to, you know, in a market where there is no ride share, then your only option is NEMT. And you really have to make sure that you're thoughtfully engaging um, <clears throat> and building out networks to give a lot of, of latency. Um, what's more interesting is, is creating the ability for populations to move across the grid, so to say. So we'll go into a market like North Carolina, where you've got, you know, um, you know, Wake County and, you know, all the UNC health systems there that are like, you know, world-class. And then you have Johnson County, which is way out in, in Eastern North Carolina. And so helping folks in Johnson County seamlessly access Wake County and vice versa, you know, has been really exciting for us. And doing, do you do any of that? Um, I know you're, you're focused on the transportation to get them there physically. How much does telehealth play a role, if at all, with that in terms of helping patients manage that if they can't get there versus right. getting them there when they can, right? In terms of plugging the gaps to still at the overall reduce costs for, for your ultimate client. Yeah. So this is something that I've been talking about for, for a bit with the team. Um, you know, what we're becoming is effectively the, the infrastructure for the entire market. Um, you know, we have this layer that can snap into any number of, of points of access. And, you know, the way our CRO explains it is, is we want to bring transportation closer to the point of need identification. So whether it's you identify the need or a dialysis clinic identifies the need or, you know, a social worker who's talking to you identifies the need, they need to be empowered. Um, but what we're seeing is, is, you know, to your point, healthcare has totally changed in the last 18 months. So you have telehealth, home health, and brick and mortar. And right now they're totally siloed, which makes no sense because it's the same member spanning that continuum. And so, you know, we see, for instance, you go to a telehealth uh, appointment, a rash isn't so looking good, so good. And someone says, hey, you got to go see somebody, you know, right now there's no way for that person to seamlessly access brick and mortar. Same with home health, uh, which is more pronounced, like 
folks will go do a, <clears throat> a visit. The member won't be looking good, clammy, non-responsive. And they're going to say, hey, you know, right now you need to get to brick and mortar. But the only option is, is 911, $2,000 ambulance, $10,000 ER admission versus hit a button, $50 NEMT, visit your PCP, have a great experience, go home to your bed that night. And so we think there's a real opportunity to bring home health, telehealth, and brick and mortar together. And we're pretty excited to do that. That's fantastic. And then we talked a little bit, uh, actually talked a lot about how the patients are getting access to care and bringing them to the point of care. Um, is there an opportunity there on the flip side, right? Bringing the doctors to wherever it is and not necessarily individual house calls. Uh, that's not, not nearly as efficient as it ever was, I think. But um, in areas where there are lots of elderly, for example, LTAC, SNFs, assisted living, is that an area where you could flip it the other way and say, we can, we can help you, Health Plan X, um, bring physicians there to reduce the cost of care to this facility or this patient population? Uh, yeah, so, so unlocking bi-directional movement of not only patients to brick and mortar, but brick and mortar to patients. Yeah, absolutely, there is, um, there's opportunity there. I, I think for us, we see so much opportunity on the bringing folks to and brick and mortar yep. that you know we're just really focused on delightfully solving that problem. But to the extent folks then say, hey, you know, now we want to go the other way, I could see that making a ton of sense. Awesome. So what are you working on next in that case? Oh, there's, yeah. There's, still so much, there's, there's tons of room to grow in terms of like bringing the patients in. I mean, because from us, from a telehealth perspective, you know, it's it's easy because we can beam in or they can beam into us. Um, and there's there's that extra challenge you've kind of thrown yourself in terms of adding in the transport part of it and bringing in the bricks and mortar part of it. So I'm curious to see, like, what do you think is important to tackle next and what do you kind of envision over the next three to five years? So I think for us, um, you know, we've been fortunate to grow so quickly that um, I, I sort of speak about automation, integration, and security. Um, those are the, 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 the three key pillars. So when we think about automation, you know, we're going to a place where we're doing thousands and thousands of rides every day, and we need to create these pathways where our algorithms understand members, they understand the reliability by zip code, by hour of day, they just are able to remove any human interaction because at a certain point, like the cognitive load is too great. And so using the digital exhaust of, you know, millions of rides to power algorithms is a big focus of ours. Um, once we have this fully automated, hyper accurate uh, sort of engine, then it's about integrating it into our partners. And so whether you're a home health company, whether you're a telehealth company, whether you're a payer and you have a digital wallet solution, or you have an EMR that you want to access uh, healthcare inside of, like we are creating these pathways to be totally agnostic to how you want to access this tool, but we just want it to be available to you in the pathway that works for you. Um, and then security. I mean, we uh, are wrapping up high trust, but that's just the start. You know, I think there's security that spans both the member experience, the network compliance experience, and then also just the underlying tech infrastructure, and that will never go away. Yep, no, that makes sense. And then and bringing up security, so looking beyond the tech for a second, um, how do you ensure security and safety for the patient and, and ensure that five-star ride? So part of it is just getting them to where they need to be on time. Yeah. But the other part is, like you mentioned, the non-emergency medical transport, um, or if something does happen, Dr. Big, while they're on the ride to the doctor. Um, have you ever run into situations like that, and how are those handled? Yeah, so I'd say security is paramount. It's like the defining part of our industry and our 
name right now is Safe Ride. So we take security <laughs> very seriously. Um, and, you know, I think it comes back to first data. So understanding, hey, you know, this is a member, it's their first time ever experiencing rideshare in their life. Mm-hmm. Like, let's take them on a journey and educate them properly about this is what rideshare is, this is how it works, you know, and get them comfortable with the experience. And then it goes great from that point forward. Similarly, you know, our algorithms thinking about, you know, who's in a van at what time, the needs of the member, oh, I need a, a Spanish speaking driver who's female because unfortunately I'm the victim of domestic abuse. So just thinking very, very carefully about the needs of the member and educating them um, has really helped us deliver this experience that really puts their safety and their experience at the forefront of the experience. And as they're kind of seamlessly getting used to this new process and, and kind of connecting it, do they do you tend to have repeat customers? Because a lot of these issues that you mentioned are chronic conditions, right? The dialysis, et cetera. Um, wound care are, is this something that you can kind of set and repeat be like hey Monday Wednesday Friday at three o'clock I'm picking up Mr. Smith right or Mr. Smith it knows that I need to book this ride forever for like the next x years how does that repeatability work versus kind of one-off patients which I think might might or might not be I guess harder for you guys to include in that yeah there's two cohorts so I'd say you know 60% of our volume is life-sustaining care that's typically a recurring course of care chemotherapy wound care you know, dialysis. And so um, these folks, you know, get to know their their drivers very well, their routes really well, and, and they build a, a, a rapport. And so that works out quite well. And there's all kinds of like gotchas, like, oh, drop off at the, the back door, not the front door of this clinic, or, you know, it's endless. But we capture all that. And then once you get it right, mm-hmm. then it just sort of runs. Um, uh, and in fact, when we think about onboarding new clients, <clears throat> you know, if Mrs. Smith likes driver Joe, who used to serve her, who was part of a different program, our algorithms will say, okay, well, let's make sure that driver Joe is the one who picks you up when you join the Safe Ride program. Um, yeah. So creating that continuity is, is, is really, really important. Um, sorry, what was the second part of the question? And then when you have like the one-offs, right? So not, not the one-offs. Uh, thank you. Yes. So then, yeah, the biggest problem is, is this industry has not allowed same-day transportation, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Um, and so there's this, you know, mantra of, you know, three days pre-booking requirements and has to go through a call center, which is not a great experience, you know, and, 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 and. And so these folks who need to see a doctor urgently are left with the recourse that no one wants, which is 911, yeah. $2,000 ambulance, or I just don't go. Yeah. Um, and so roughly 20% of our volume every day is same day volume and our ability to pick that up and solve that problem creates enormous value for our partners. Got it. And then from the PCP perspective, because I know you guys have a huge impact on no-show rates, right? So obviously the health plans are benefiting, the patients are benefiting with better compliance and, and better health outcomes on that respect. But from the physician perspective that you're taking them to, to be seen, um, are they excited? Like what's their response to this in terms of getting the patients in? If you're able to impact their no-show rates, you're able to you know, get them patients in or compliant that weren't before. Um, yeah. How does that relationship work, given that they're not a direct kind of member of the contract, if you will, of that kind of two-way contract, but they're a direct beneficiary? Sure. I mean, providers are fantastic partners. And we actually started selling to providers first before we sort of built the compliance infrastructure to take the next step into the payers. Okay. Um, so our DNA is, is we started with uh, the providers and we serve both national di- di- uh, dialysis providers nationally, um, in addition to, you know, regional health systems and things of that nature. I think, yeah, I mean, they're they're the tip of the spear and they're dealing with extraordinary challenges and having folks show up reliability to their procedures when they're, you know, you have a hyperbaric wound chamber, 
yeah. very expensive pieces of equipment. And yeah. if people don't show up, like it's just really hard to run your day-to-day operations. Yeah. I mean, think about it, just like with infusion clinics, um, same thing, right? Which is you're prepped for those infusions and you need to have the, the oversight and the supervision. And if someone's late, even if it's 20 minutes versus a no-show entirely, that can throw off the entire day as well. But I'd say in, across all providers, there's this element of like fee-for-service provider experiences are sort of moving further and further to the wayside and there's more and more shared risk relationships. So the more a provider starts to behave like a payer, Mm-hmm. the more they're incentivized to sort of take action because now they've got some skin in the game to make sure this works. No, that makes sense. And for, how about for you guys? Are you interested in going the, uh, the value-based risk-based um, angle? Uh, we are typically cost plus, but mm-hmm. you know, from time to time, we will engage in what we call PMPM contracts. Um, mm-hmm. But what we do is, is we, we typically build our contracts in a way where we really think about who are the members and what is the desired experience from those members versus just monolithically spreading, you know, X rides across the entire population. Uh, and then we're able to have a conversation in historically a PMPM relationship that didn't work to say, hey, we really want these populations to get to care. And that's going to be roughly these many rides. And, you know, wellness visits are great, but you only need like two a year, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's true. Um, and then to kind of understand how it works for kicking off a new client. Um, I'm guessing, did you, I don't know if I, I got this, where are you kind of geographically focused now? Are you nationwide? Are you mostly West Coast, Midwest? Um... We're nationwide, um, but we have a core market strategy where, you know, we have uh, around 16 markets with substantial volume in them. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as you thicken a market, you know, you're running numerous MA plans, Medicaid plans and provider programs in the same ecosystem. It just, it gets easier and easier as you get density in the market. Right. And that's what I was going to ask you in terms of um, we see similar things in the hospital setting where, you know, once you start providing one service, it's a lot easier to get the second, third, fourth service going. So similar for you guys, when you're breaking into a new market, though, right? And no one, uh, you, you have to kind of prove it all over again, if you will, or kind of earn earn that with the with the patients and with the client. How do you go about doing that in, in kind of the, the secret sauce way, if you will? Because you've done yeah. it now so many times. Um, have you found that it gets easier or is it still kind of you still have to prove yourself every single time? Oh, we, we were really good at making mistakes. Well, the good news <laughs> is we learned from those mistakes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we definitely didn't get all of them right the first time. Um, no, I'd say, I think when you think about our growth strategy, there's, there's a core market philosophy of like, once I'm operating in Texas, dropping an additional incremental revenue in Texas is one, immediately creative and two, dead simple because all the pipes are connected and then everything is just set up and ready to go. Whether it's the encounters data, the claims data, everything is just set. Um, we also have a core market strategy. So, sorry, uh, a core client strategy. So, you know, we have worked with a large integrated system. We've expanded them six times uh, across now three regions. And so they'll say, hey, you know, we know how you work in this region. Could you go ahead and open up this region for us? Um, and then we come with an anchor client who knows how we operate. And we have that trust to sort of build up the market around them. That's fantastic. And do you find that word of mouth and referral growth is the best way? I imagine with payers, it's a little bit different, a little bit harder um, to, to expand into new clients, not just new geographies with the client. What's the kind of um, your your plan and your going forward um, outlook on that front in terms of attracting new clients, whether they're similar MA plans that you're not in or a completely different kind of clientele that you see opportunity at? I think we try to be really focused on on the markets we serve for all the reasons we just shared. I would say the other thing is is you know healthcare is concentrated, uh, yeah. so you know we 
are we sell to over 50% of the US Medicare market already with the clients we have. And so we shamelessly overserve them. And we, <laughs> you know, invest a lot in making that relationship uh, a great relationship so that we can do exactly that. Um, the good news is, is transparent, uh, uh, sorry, transportation is very data driven. So there are very clear metrics that you can say this is the experience, this is the the fulfillment rate, this is the no-show rate. And, and so people can, you know, just use data to say, okay, this is or is not working. And more often than not, people are saying, yeah, this is working. So let's do more of it. That's fantastic. Um, if you could have one thing change on the regulatory framework for next year, because I've, I've heard this from, from a lot of ways, um, is there anything that you feel like is holding you back or that you would change to open this up, whether it's for you directly or for your segment of the market overall? I would say... Medicare scales a lot faster than Medicaid. Um, mm-hmm. It is more tech forward um, because there's less restrictions. And so we're, we're driving really interesting innovations around the member experience, how you access things using AI um, to really create a better experience in MA. Um, we are now harvesting that data to then go and work with the Medicaid market to say, hey, this works, you know, we should think about deploying these innovations. And I think the Medicaid regulators um, are really excited about new and better and different. It's just harder to navigate 50 different Medicaid agencies versus a more monolithic Medicare backdrop. Well, also, you know, Medicaid obviously never quite pays the same way. Um, And so how much of that is... um, and will they match what Medicare will do for certain benefits like this, as opposed to kind of professional fees? Actually, the interesting thing is, is 100% of Medicaid has a transportation benefit. Oh. Um, it has since 1965. Yes. Uh, really? Yeah. So <laughs> they were, you know, first to really be the innovators. And Medicaid, yeah. you know, has been, you know, driving this benefit forward. Now, the way it's been delivered has changed quite a bit. It used to be delivered through large state contracts. So state of Kentucky rolls out of, uh, you know, the transportation benefit. Now it's, yeah. you know, Molina or Centene or yeah. Ameri Health, you know, the operators themselves are taking the benefit in house and they're driving a new solution because they have the agency to tweak things as they see fit. And they're totally invested in doing it right because it's their membership that they're serving. Got it. So in the States where you talked about the 16 core markets, is that areas where you've done Medicare and Medicaid, given that you have kind of that um, the heavyweight presence in that geography already? Or is that still an expansion area for you guys to switch? Those are expansion areas. So we have a lot more uh, Medicare coverage mm-hmm. across the United States. Uh, Medicaid, you know, it's a major investment and highly complex. And so okay. we have a couple key Medicaid markets that track to the largest markets in the United States. Yeah. Um, so... Well, no, the fact that you're even attacking it is is props because I know how complicated Medicaid is to work with uh, from a from a physician and a profi uh, perspective. So I can only imagine on uh, the ancillary benefits how uh, how complex the rules and regulations must be. <laughs> but it's, it's it's exciting because I mean the Medicaid population that's where the need is the most pronounced. Right. Uh, exactly. And you know, helping foster kids get to care. I, I have a three year old and a dad. Mm-hmm. It just feels good. Um, yeah. So I, I really enjoy. The, the challenges that we're running through because that means we're building a better solution for this population. That's fantastic. Do you have any last words for our audience here? I'd love to make sure that they un- they walk away from this understanding just how seamless you're making it to get people to care and access care 
wherever they are um, and regardless of their transportation condition. I would leave with maybe a note of optimism. I really do think that the future is pretty bright in terms of where healthcare is evolving. And this idea of we saw these new things really become established, telehealth and home health in the last 24 months, um, relatively new things. Like now we're gonna start connecting these things together and I'm really excited to see what that world looks like. Same here, I can't wait to see what, uh, what comes next. Thank you so much for your time this morning. It was a pleasure, thank you.